Yeah, let me say it this way. If you bear the name of Christ, then you'll live it out in these tangible ways. So the law is the evidence that you bear the name of Christ. And so in the Ten Commandments, they were told not to carry God's name in vain. And I would I would think that means to claim to be an Israelite, to act like you're a member of the community, and yet you live no differently than your pagan neighbors. And so that's very easy to transfer to our context. I could call myself a Christian, but if nobody can tell the difference between the way I treat people and the way my my non-Christian neighbor treats people, then we've got a problem. We're made for each other in the image of love. You and me made for each other in the image of love. Hey there, you and you. Welcome back to the show. I'm Seth. This is the podcast, and I'm glad that you're here. Here's the deal. There are no extra ad breaks today. Um, You will hear one dedicated sponsor, Wild Foods, and in the middle of the episode, listen to that, and I will say, try their stuff. It's really good. But outside of that, uh, supporters over at Patreon have literally stepped up to the plate. Some of them have changed their pledges, and um, they are producing this show. The show does continue to need to grow, however, so if you've been on the fence, and if you are able in any way, consider becoming a producer, supporter, whatever words you want to give to that of the show. You have no idea how far even a dollar or two goes, and there are other things, there are perks there as well. Uh, A little housekeeping thing. So you're going to see in the next few weeks, I'm going to bring the store offline, which is needed because I need to do some refreshes on some of the stuff and that's going to take some time. And so for a couple weeks, maybe a month, who knows, I'm going to take it down. I'm going to be tweaking it and editing it and then I will bring it back and hopefully have some new content there as well when that comes back. And um, there's some things that I just want for myself. And so I figure if I'm going to make it for me, may as well make it available for you all. So look for that in the coming weeks, months. I have no idea, actually, when that's going to happen. However, there we go. Those two PSAs are out of the way. Today, I brought on Carmen Imes. She is brilliant, much like many of the other guests on the show. And we talked about bearing God's name, what that means what it means at Sinai, and kind of how that theme is interwoven throughout all of Scripture, and what that means for today, specifically about how we treat one another. I think you're going to love it, and so let's rock and roll. Here we go. All right. Doctor, right? Doctor. Yes. Dr. Carmen Imes. Welcome to the show. Unless you're requiring it, I won't say doctor again. It's just so, yeah, absolutely. Um, But you earned it. So I want to, I want to, I want to use that. Um, It was hard work. (laughs) I'm sure. Um, Welcome to the show. I'm glad you're here. And I think you might have the record for the longest it takes me to email people back and forth. Like I know I was like email, <laughs> drop off the face of the earth for four months and then email. That's that's my MO. But I think I may have been the worst with you. And so I'm very, I'm very sorry. <laughs> no worries. Here we are. It happened. <laughs> we did it. Um, so before we get started, um, who are you? What is, who is, wh- why is Carmen? Like what would you want people to know about you? That's a really broad question. Right? Go wherever Um, you want. I am a child of God, follower of Jesus. I teach Old Testament at Prairie College in Three Hills, Alberta. I have a PhD from Wheaton College in Illinois, master's from uh, Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. I've been a Bible nerd my entire life. I just love the Bible, and I think it's fascinating and relevant and I've devoted my life to helping people connect with it and find God through the pages of Scripture. Mm. What is required to be a Bible nerd? I don't, I don't know. What are the qualifications for this? Well, when I was in second grade, I was out on the playground with my Bible starting a Bible read-through club. So I think that's my qualifying <laughs> activity. 
I, like I that. thought that playing on the playground, playing on the playground seemed to me to be a waste of time when we could be reading the Bible. Absolutely. Um, so, so you can deduce from that that I was not very popular as a kid, that I had trouble, <laughs> like I was not the type that went to parties. I was never the cool one. There are worse hobbies than yeah. reading a biblical text. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I agree. Um, so I wanted to talk a bit about the book that you wrote. I don't remember exactly when it came out because I just don't. Time has, has warped and shifted. Yeah, it was De- December of 2019. Oh, so, so just been, over a year. Yeah. Uh, I feel like it's been longer than that. But again, time is warping and shifting. I, my concept yeah. of time is, is... is COVID time is is just its own thing. I don't... Yeah. I, I'd leave the house, but I feel like all I do is leave the house to come back to sleep to leave the house. Like there's there's very little yeah. outside of that. Yeah. But you wrote yep. a blog post, I want to say around Christmas. And I think that you referenced a different blog post prior, but maybe not. It's like a liturgical calendar for people that need help. And unless that's the post yeah. that you're referencing that was so popular, that's nope. the one I want to talk about. So in that post, like where are we sure. at in the liturgical calendar? You know, at recording, we're a few weeks away from Lent beginning, you know, a couple of days or so. Yeah. But where are we at for the liturgical calendar, you know, based on, you know, the way yeah. that we should be handling church right now? So some some people would, would still call this epiphany. Mm-hmm. For some people, epiphany lasts from like January, is it 6th? all the way until the start of Lent. And for other people, Epiphany is just a day. So so some people would call this Epiphany. Some people would call it ordinary time. I myself do not attend a liturgical church, and I, ha- and I never have. Mm-hmm. So I'm just a, an interloper. I just sort of lurk <laughs> on Twitter and figure out which, sis- which season we're in. <laughs> no, no, no. You're going real specific. I meant like you wrote a fantastic post about I know here. Yeah, here it is. I I pulled it up a foolproof guide to the evangelical Mm, church mm -hmm. calendar, you know, so somewhere around. Oh, yeah. You want to know you you want to know the evangelical church calendar. Yeah, I think we're approaching Super Bowl Sunday. I think that's where we're at. So is this a high holy day in the church calendar for the church or? or Let me put it this way. When I was a kid, we never missed a service like we never did. Even on Super Bowl Sunday, we would go to church in the morning and in the evening. And it was a it was a big deal because when we went, it was a really small service. And even other very devout families were not there Mm. because they were home watching the Super Bowl. And so I felt a certain sense of superiority. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I read through that. I sent it to a couple of friends that were pastors and then many more friends (laughs) that are not pastors. And we were all like. This is the correct amount of passive aggressiveness that I need in, <laughs> that I need in my life right now. Um, it was my first attempt at satire uh, on my blog, I think, and I was a, I was nervous because here here's why I was nervous. I know that this has been a super hard year for pastors. Mm. Like COVID has been, some pastor friends are telling me the hardest season of ministry they've ever had to endure. So I did not want to heap abuse on pastors who are already carrying a a really heavy load and having to think. But I was also, I've just also been increasingly struck by how the North American church is shaped around consumerism Mm. rather than around church traditions or uh, biblical festivals and feasts either. I mean, I didn't talk about this in the blog post, but we don't, we also don't know when Jewish festivals are for the most part in the church. We are as I said in the post, if you want to know what season it is, check the entry to your local Walmart and you'll you'll get a sense for like which high holy day is coming up. Yeah, we're in the heart chocolate season mixed with hot wings. That's where we're That's at. That's true. That's <laughs> true. And one thing I one thing I left out of the post, which I if I was writing it over, I would ha- add in and that's the third Sunday in January. Depending on your church tradition is either Martin Luther King Jr. Day, where you're going to talk about social justice, racial justice, and reconciliation in church, or you're going to talk about sanctity of human life, but probably not both. So that's something that I would add if I was writing it over. Yeah, probably not both. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Yeah. I mean, I, I grew up... Um, I grew up hearing about Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, but we didn't do anything with MLK Jr. at church. 
And then one of my first black friends was talking to me about how hard it is for her to attend white churches, in part because they're completely ignoring one of the greatest heroes of the faith for her. Mm. And to not even acknowledge that it's that it's Martin Luther King Jr. weekend um, just seemed to her to be completely missing such an important piece of church history. Mm. It yeah. seems like you either get one or another. I did a little informal poll on Twitter asking people whether their pastors mentioned one or the other or neither or both, and it was interesting, but I don't think I have enough followers to know if it was a very accurate sample size. I mean, it's probably 50-50. Actually, it's probably not. It's probably 50 we talked about one of those, and the other 50 we talked about whatever we were going to talk about anyway. So, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's, I think, about how it worked out on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, I think there's a weird dichotomy for pastors of they probably want to, hopefully they want to say some things about that, but they're mm-hmm. terrified mm-hmm. that it will already exacerbate the bleeding that COVID has caused to the coffers and their lights yes. and payroll and salaries and staff and yeah. a business to run, um, which is a different yes. topic altogether, the business of church. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But yeah, church is a business, sadly. Um, anyway. That makes me sad. So let's not do that. Let's talk about bearing God's name. So that's not a word that we use, at least for me, because you're up in Canada and you weren't raised in Canada, right? Like you're not. No, I grew up in Colorado. Perfect. So bearing here is only for bearing arms. And I don't want to have a gun conversation, really. Uh, But at least when I hear the word bearing, that's literally all that I think of is bearing or ball bearings in a car, maybe, maybe. Um, you were the first person to say that to me. I never even thought about the possibility of a m- sort of militaristic reading of the title. I'm from Texas, so for me, it's all uh-huh. guns. It's all guns and football. It's it's yeah. it's guns, football, and oil. So that's that's yeah. it. Um, but yeah, that's probably me. That's that's some eisegesis there in the title of your book. So that's okay. <laughs> um, but what is that? So bearing God's name. What does that whole concept mean? Because um, honestly, as I read through the book. And then I've read pieces afterwards. Like the whole concept of your book was a little bit foreign to me in the way that I was mm-hmm. raised in the church. Like it just, mm-hmm. what I expected when it was, when I was asked to read it by a few friends is not yeah. what I gathered at the end. I was like, huh, hmm. huh, which is great. I love yeah. those. Yeah. So what, what is this concept? Yeah. So my basic thesis is that when Israel meets God at Sinai, he places his name on them. He He gives them like this invisible tattoo, claiming them as his own by putting his name on them. Uh, And that he is then commissioning them as his representatives among the nations. So my work stems from Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, the command not to take the Lord's name in vain, which is a bad, it's a bad way to translate it. The word take isn't in there in the Hebrew. Uh, Most of us have understood that command as a prohibition of saying God's name in a certain way, like using it as a swear word or in an oath that we don't intend to keep or something like that. And as I look at the Hebrew, it it says, you shall not lift up or carry the name of Yahweh your God in vain. Hmm. And so so the word I've chosen for that is bear, but you could just as easily say carry. You could say carrying God's name. Yeah. 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 So so that's the ba- the basic idea is not that God's telling them not to say his name, but he's telling them not to misrepresent him among the nations. Okay. And so for you and I listening, I think that word misrepresent is huge mm-hmm. because yes. representation of of the divine is a massive thing and depending on who you ask or poll on Twitter or a church you attend on Sunday, that's going to vastly wildly differ, I think. Yes. Yes. So where do we get that? Like, what should we be looking for and measuring against as we're looking to bear? Also, I'm very curious, can I take the Lord's name in vain in the way that I was taught of using it? Like, is that, can I use it as a swear word? Like, is that even a thing or is that really just me butchering that text? So I would say that, um, that what the command is actually saying is, is a, is a bigger umbrella that encompasses within it or underneath it, some of the narrower ways that the church has tended to read it. So no, I don't think it's a good idea to use God's name as a swear word. And no, I don't think you should take an oath in God's name and then break it. Those would be very specific ways of misrepresenting him Mm. uh, by not honoring his name, uh, you know, his spoken name, or by not living in such a way that is 
um, you know, you're, if you're a person who keeps your word, then you're like Yahweh. But if you are, if you're just making flippant promises and then breaking them, that's not like Yahweh. So it falls under the umbrella of, of misrepresentation if you do that. Um, but yeah. I think the command is much broader. Yeah. And then as far as the representation of God mm-hmm. or Yahweh, so mm-hmm. how do we measure that? Because I can turn on the TV, I can turn on um, the iTunes top 100 sermons in the category that I happen to be in, which... Mm-hmm. Means that I'm buried behind 400 super pastors, um, <laughs> which, if you're listening, Apple, there should be a separate category for sermons. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, that's anyway. PSA aside, um, what is that? How do we reconcile that? What are we looking for? Because I don't think many Christians agree on what that should look like. Yeah, sure. So in in an ancient Israelite context, it looks like obedience to the rest of the commands. So we have this command followed following shortly after you shall not worship other gods so i would call these the the first two commands of the 10 commandments no other gods don't misrepresent me mm. and those two sort of set the agenda for i will be your god you will be my people and then all the rest of the laws in exodus leviticus numbers deuteronomy are fleshing out what that would look like in an ancient israelite context it actually affects every area of your life, the way you do agriculture, who you marry and who you have sexual intimacy with, what you eat, what you wear, how you treat people in business. All these categories are covered by the laws, and and these laws are not there to tell people how to earn salvation or how to earn their way to God. They're there as a matter of mission. God's already rescued them from Egypt, He's commissioned them to represent him, and now he's showing them, here's how you can demonstrate my character to a watching world. Mm. So this is a long answer to your question. In our cultural context, it's going to work its way out differently than it was in ancient Israel, even if we have farmer Christians who want to honor God with the way that they farm. It's not going to look exactly like the farming laws in, in the Torah because we're in a different cultural context. You can't just leave the edges of your field unharvested so that the foreigner and the widow will be able to eat because no one is going to come glean in your fields. That's not how it works. So we have to find other ways of demonstrating generosity and care for the vulnerable. Um, but, but I think the Old Testament law helps us by giving us the categories yeah. and by sparking our imaginations. Yeah. So you're going to see my face brighten up quite a bit because I read your book digitally. So all of my notes are also on my computer. So <laughs> there's a part in your book, and so you just used references of law and and, and inferred mm-hmm. the Ten Commandments. But there's a part in here where you talk about the law as a gift. And I feel like it's chapter two, mm-hmm. but I didn't write that down. Mm-hmm. But um, my understanding of the law and my upbringing are these are the ten things we don't do. And oddly enough, we don't really mm-hmm. talk about Matthew 25, which arguably... Um, I find more lawful in the way that I should live and have praxis. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. yeah, so the context of me and the law, like these are the Ten Commandments, don't do these, and compounding the fact that two of them seem to be the same thing, don't slander against other people, and I'm paraphrasing that, and then also don't lie about other people, and I don't, or what bear false witness your neighbor, whatever it is, I'm not the best at memorizing scripture. The way that we view the law appears to be different than the way, and the way that you've written that um, ancient Near East and the Israelites would have viewed the Mm -hmm. law. So what is kind of that dichotomy for us today? Yeah, I think we tend to think of law legislatively. That seems obvious to us. Mm-hmm. But in an ancient context, law was a demonstration of wisdom. So if I want to show you, if I'm a ruler of an ancient Near Eastern nation, and I want to show you what a wise ruler I am, I'm going to produce a list of laws that that show what an ordered society would look like. And so that's what we have in Exodus is Yahweh as the as the true king of this new nation of Israelites is demonstrating his wisdom and is showing us how to cultivate wisdom. But I think really the key for me in correctly understanding the law is by paying attention to where it appears. And I already mentioned this, but Moses does not show up at the border of Egypt with stone tablets and say, hey, guys, I can get you out of here. Just agree 
you know, sign on the dotted line, agree that you will live by these 10 things, and then I'll rescue you. It's not a prerequisite to salvation. God saves them first, and then he gives them the law. And, and I think if we get that right, then it really helps us make sense of, of how Christians today should be related to the law. Because so many Christians have said, I don't need to worry about the law because Jesus saved me by grace. Mm. But that's a misdiagnosis of the law because God had saved them by grace too. The law was a way of living out their mission as the people who belong to him. And I think what I see in the New Testament, you look at any of Paul's letters, his letters typically break down to half and half exposition, exhortation. The first half is telling us here's what's true about you and God and the world. And the second half is typically saying, now here's how you should live. Mm. So Paul is not trying to do away with law. He's giving instructions that are contextualized for his environment to say, here's what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus in this context. Here's how it's going to affect your family relationships, your relationships at church, the order of worship. You know, he is continually trying to show people how to live faithfully as followers of Jesus. And we we put a different label on that in the Old Testament. We call it law, which is so misleading because we immediately think of legislation and like civil law when yeah. it actually it's a it's calling the church to faithfulness just like the New Testament. So in this again, pardon my ignorance. So would it be more fair to say that the law is the fruits of faithful living? to take what you're taking from Paul, like sure. the law that I am living out should be mm-hmm. evident by the by the name that I bear. Or, or am I taking that and, and hearing it and twisting yeah. it? Yeah, let me say it this way. If you bear the name of Christ, then you'll live it out in these tangible ways. So the law is the evidence that right. you bear the name of Christ. And so in the Ten Commandments, they were told not to carry God's name in vain and i would i would think that means to claim to be an israelite to act like you're a member of the community and yet you live no differently than your pagan neighbors mm. and so that's very easy to transfer to our context i could call myself a christian but if nobody can tell the difference between the way i treat people and the way my my non-christian neighbor treats people then we've got a problem Give me just a second. We're coming right back. Today's episode is sponsored by Wild Foods. Wild Foods was founded on an obsession with finding the best ingredients in the world to support health and longevity. They specialize in real foods from small producers around the world who are passionate about ingredients and their story. Now, I have recently been partaking in some of their stuff and I have tried the Cocotropic Superfood Elixir. It's good. I've been adding it to my coffee. At work, sometimes I'll make tea and I will add it to that. And I will tell you, it gives me a boost. It is just what I need to get through the end of the day. They have all sorts of things. And I already know the next thing on my list. I'm getting the Wild Lumberjack Coffee Beans. I'm excited for it. If you want to try some, you can go to wildfoods.co and at checkout enter promo code SISTAC. That's C-I-S-T-A-C. They have all kinds of products. I think that you'll be pleased. Sinai, I've never read so many pages about a mountain or a mount, a hill, whatever you want to call it. So so my question is, I actually have two questions. One of them predicates from prior, but I'd like to ask a question on Sinai. So what is the significance of Sinai? So Sinai for me has always been more of a, a middle ground between here's where we were in Egypt Sinai is where we mm-hmm. pivoted to live differently. So like a metaphorical yep. change. And so like a like a yep. like a redemption story or like a, a literal physical testimony. Sure. 
am I wrong in in that, or am I stripping that metaphor too far, too far? Like, what is the the significance for Sinai for an entire faith community? Like, why Sinai? Sure. Why why is that so pivotal? Yeah, no, I I like your your language of pivot because I do think that the people pivot at Sinai. Um, what I think we often miss because we tend to think of Sinai as the place the Ten Commandments happened, and then there's all this other stuff. What we miss is that. The bulk of the Torah occurs at Sinai. So starting in Exodus 19, stretching all the way through Leviticus into Numbers chapter 10, they're at Sinai. That's a lot of chapters devoted to what happens. You know, 20 chapters of Exodus, 27, I think, in Leviticus, and 10 of Numbers. It's the heart of what God's doing in in this story of his people. And I think the significance is that like you said, God has taken them out of Egypt. They're not going to live in that context anymore. But he He needs time to remake them as a people, or they need time to embrace their new identity as the nation, a, a nation under God's rulership. And I, I say in the book that the wilderness is God's workshop. It's the place where he can remake us. It's a place he remade them. And so I think the length of time they spend at Sinai is indicative of how much reshaping needs to happen. And so when they go into the promised land, they're going, they're not the same people who left Egypt. They've been transformed at Sinai. Mm. And so I've, I've wrestled with that wilderness metaphor for a while. Do you think that... Mm-hmm a person of faith is almost required to walk somewhat solitudely through a wilderness type thing, a place of desolation where there's very little there of comfort to have a pivotal point. If that, does that make any sense at all? Because so many people, I think, especially now as they watch the church implode. Yeah, yeah. that's a fair question. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if I would mm-hmm. want to keep the word required that, that a Christian is required to go through the wilderness. But I do see this as a pattern in the way God works. When God wants to sh- reshape us, he often takes us through seasons of stripping down, um, emptying our hands of the things we've been clinging to. And in a, in a really powerful sense, I think COVID is doing this for the church and for the world. The entire world is in this wilderness space where the routines that we took totally for granted, the jobs we took for granted, the relationships we took for granted are are now all constantly in question, being renegotiated. We're figuring out new rules all the time. And this feels like a tremendous loss, and we grieve that appropriately. But I am actually really Mm. excited about what God will do in and through the church because in what other period of history have we been so stripped down to the basics? Have we been so forced to collectively, globally rethink what does it mean to be the church? What do we need? What's the bare minimum that we need to still be church? And we're having to rethink all the programs, all the services, all the activities, and and think more uh, intentionally about how to be the church in a very different kind of scenario. And I think this is God's gift. I'm not saying he planned COVID so that this would happen, but God is certainly not going to waste it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I was going to make that caveat as well. And if you didn't, yeah, I was, yeah, was going to, yeah. yeah, I'm not, hopefully no, nobody hear that. I don't think that that's how, um, I don't think that that's how the world works. <laughs> I don't interpret COVID as God's judgment on the church. I don't in, or, or God's judgment on the world or God's like divine plan to, you know, whatever, but he, he will use it and he is using it in so many ways already. So you like all of the old Testament from what I've read about you on the internet. So I want to... I do. What is God's name? Because it appears like when I read, like Amos is one of my favorite books of the Bible. And if there's been a book of Mm -hmm. the pandemic for me, it's been Amos, specifically Mm -hmm. Amos 5, as I watch all these rallies and the Let Us Worship, Mm -hmm. you know, rallies where I'm like, what are you people doing? And that's, again, Mm -hmm. some of my politics bleeding out. But Amos has been like my like my jam, which is weird because it never used mm-hmm. to be. But in Amos, I think it's mm-hmm. like, what, nine? There are people that don't appear to be Israelite that bear God's name. And ah, like yes. I don't, 
Is bearing God's name something that you don't have to ask to do? Do you even need to know what, whom, whatever the God is? Is that just something that you mm. do because you happen to bear God's image, which is an entirely different thing also altogether? Like how, anyway, I, I can't. So Yeah, yes. yeah, great, great question. There's a few different pieces in there to respond to. So first, let me say that I don't think that being God's image and bearing God's name are the same thing. They are similar in that every... Hum, it's, they're similar in that um, being God's image is also a representative role, but they're different because every human being is the image of God and only covenant members bear God's name. And you're right that throughout the Old Testament, it's the, it's the nation of Israel that is identified as the covenant member, the covenant partner of God, the people who bear God's name. But there is a difference in Amos chapter 9. It's a really remarkable passage. Um, I'll just read from, from verse 11. In that day, I will restore David's fallen shelter, probably a reference to the Davidic dynasty. I will repair its broken walls and restore its ruins and will rebuild it as it used to be so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that bear my name. Mm. So what I, what I want to clarify here is that he's not saying that there are people out there who bear my name without even knowing it. He's looking ahead to a future day when God is going to restore the Davidic dynasty and he's going to gather the nations that bear his name. So it's looking ahead to a time when Gentiles are going to be allowed into the covenant. It's not his own day. It's still off in the future. And we see that in verse 11, in that day. So the days are coming, declares the Lord, when these things will happen. And this is precisely the passage that James picks up on in Acts chapter 15, when the early church is meeting together to decide, what do we do about Gentiles? There's like Gentiles who want to follow Jesus, and how's that supposed to work? Because Jesus is a Jewish Messiah, and up until now, it's Jews who've been following Jesus as Messiah. So if a Gentile wants to follow Jesus, do they have to become a Jew first, mm. or could they follow the Messiah as a Gentile. And so the, the early church leaders meet to duke it out. You know, they're trying to figure, they're trying to discern what what's the right way forward. And there's two main um, testimonies that are given at this meeting. The first one is Peter, who gets up and tells the story of how he preached the gospel among the Gentiles and the Holy Spirit fell on them. And in the Old Testament, the giving of the Spirit is consistently a sign of covenant renewal. Mm. And so Peter's like, wait, I was thinking the next step after I preached, if they wanted to follow Jesus, was we'd circumcise all the men and they'd, we'd bring them into the synagogue. They'd become Jews and then they could follow Jesus. Mm. But he's watching the Spirit fall on them and he's realizing uh, God apparently is not distinguishing between them and us. Like, he, apparently it's okay to be a Gentile covenant member. So Peter shares from his experience. And then James stands up and he reads this passage from Amos 9. He says in verse 13, this is Acts 15, 13, Brothers, listen to me. Simon, or Peter, has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. And that's what Peter's just described with the giving of the Spirit. And then he says the words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written. And he quotes... Amos 9, even all the Gentiles who bear my name. So, so he says, no, we, they don't need to become Jews first. We don't need to circumcise them, etc. So I, I don't think it's possible to accidentally be a name bearer. I just think here they're talking about a Gentile who wants to follow Jesus doesn't need to go through that um, ethnic conversion process first. Yeah. And the reason I asked that question, and again, I like to take things and rip them apart in ways that are probably mm -hmm. inappropriate, um, which is why I titled the podcast the way that it is, because sure. um, it's also why I don't frame any questions ahead of time, because it allows me to, as close as possible, I have no idea if you drink, but grab a beer electronically <laughs> over the continent and be like, but, but what about? Yeah. So I'll, I'll grab an iced tea. <laughs> uh, yeah, hey, whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> whatever works for you. Um, so let me pull up my question. So can you talk a bit about the image of God? and bearing the name of God, because for some reason sure. I can't let go of that. And, and, yeah. and the reason, there's a lot of reasons for that, but, or, or could you just possibly write a second, third, fourth, fifth, 
book about that, but that's a different I, thing. I'm, no, I'm actually writing it right now. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> I'm, yes, I'm writing a prequel to Bearing God's Name. It's going to be called Being God's Image, Why mm. Creation Still Matters. Because mm. I realized like Sinai is great and all, but like there's other things about there's other things we need to know from scripture about what does it mean to be human mm. before we enter into a covenant. The reason I say that is the image of God is what comes up when people talk about the sanctity of human life, war, yes. oppression, yep. et cetera, et cetera. Um, yep. But many people do the things that destroy God's image in mm -hmm. the name of what they think God is calling them to do. And those yes. two don't seem to jive with me. Like that's yes. an oxymoron, a massive yes. one. So yes. what is it? So more more clearly, what is the name of God? Because there's many in, the, in, in Scripture. And then what is the image of God outside of humanity? Like to juxtapose those two. Okay. So I would argue, actually, that there's only one name for God in the Old Testament, and that's Yahweh, and that all the other designations for God are titles rather than names. Okay. So, so my name is Carmen. That's my only name. You could call me professor, author, mother, wife, friend. You know, I have lots of, there's lots of things you could, Bible nerd, you can <laughs> give me lots of designations, um, but, but I still only have one unique identifier, and that's Carmen Imes. Like, that's how you can tell you're talking about me and not someone else. So I would say Yahweh is God's personal name. It distinguishes him from any would-be rival gods that might try to get people's allegiance. Mm -hmm. And so that's how God reveals himself to Moses at Sinai in Exodus chapter 3 and 4. And you asked about the significance of Sinai earlier, and what I didn't say was God first rescues Moses from Pharaoh in Egypt. He goes through the wilderness, meets God at Sinai, experiences his presence, and gets commissioned to go back and bring the people out. Then he brings the people out from oppression under Pharaoh through the water, across the wilderness, to the same mountain, Mount Sinai, and then he commissions them. So, so God reveals himself in all his glory, both to Moses and to the people. And he, in, in both cases, he commissions. He commissions Moses to go back to Egypt. He commissions the people to represent him among the nations. So that's why Sinai is a big deal. But you're right that image of God is a really big deal. Um, and I've been sitting with this now for about nine months working on the next book. And I'm convinced that if we could really grab a hold of what it means to be the image of God, we would have to treat one another better than we do now. Because there are no qualifications for humans being the image of God. There's no certain ability or morality that is presupposed. It's just, if you're human, you are God's image. And what's striking to me, what's what's really jumped out at me as I've looked at this, is that when God creates the first humans, they are male and female in the image of God. Women are not sort of an afterthought in Genesis 1, that like man is the image of God and women's along for the ride. No, it says male and female, he created them uh, in verse chapter 1, verse 27, in God's image. And the, the implication of being God's image, so our identity is to be God's image, but the implication is that we will rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and every living creature that moves on the ground. That rulership has a very noticeable thing that's missing. It never says rule over each other. It only says rule over creation. And it's a benevolent kind of rule. It's a rule that that encourages flourishing and makes sure that animals have enough to eat and waterways are mm. clean and the ground is not polluted. Like there's there's such a strong message of creation care that comes through in Genesis 1 and 2, but there is no command to dominate each other. And if we could just grab hold of that, we would be, we would be different. <laughs> Oddly enough, that might be the kingdom of heaven. But again, mm -hmm, different mm -hmm. different podcasts, different sermon, yeah. different everything. Um, yeah. So I want to springboard on to Jesus. So how do we get what what in the Old Testament? Because it's not lost on me that Jesus is praying in in God's name, you know, in the Lord's prayer, yes. "Hallowed be yes. Thy name." So, um, but when we pray often, and we're praying to God, we would just say the word Jesus, and so mm -hmm. I'm fine with that as well. But we're not saying yeah. Yahweh. So. Yeah. What pivots or what what hinges the 
hinges Jesus and Christ to Yahweh as it relates to Sinai, yes. and, and specifically in that prayer? Yeah, such a great question. So um, once you see this theme of bearing God's name in the Old Testament, you'll see it everywhere, like through every Old Testament book, just about um, there's references to it, hints of it. And then we turn the pages to the New Testament, and it's like, what just happened? <laughs> because suddenly we're not talking about Yahweh. And there's a language reason for that. In Greek, it's like impossible to say Yahweh. There's So, so Yahweh is four consonants in Hebrew, Y-H-W-H. And Greek has no H and no W and no Y. <laughs> so there's like, mm. <laughs> there's, there's not an easy way to say it or to pronounce it. And by yeah. that time in history, faithful Jews had stopped pronouncing the name of God, at least outside the synagogue or outside the temple, because they were trying really hard not to break the command, not yeah. to misuse it. Yeah. So they... So there was a already a, a tradition of not saying it, plus it's really hard to say in Greek. So those are two factors. But there's clear references throughout the Gospels to the name of God. Um, and Jesus, in his prayer, prays, hallowed be your name. Um, I, I feel like as a kid, I thought that was odd. Um, mm -hmm. that isn't God's name already holy? Like, why would it need to be made holy? But if you understand the theme that, that God's put his name on his people and their job is to represent him to the nations so that the nations will know what he's like, then it makes sense if the Israelites did not live faithfully to the covenant, they actually profaned God's name. Mm. They brought it into disrepute. And I'm not making this up. Ezekiel is all over this, um, especially chapter 36. He says, when you were dragged into exile, that profaned God's name. Because everybody's looking at you and they're like, oh, Yahweh must not be very powerful because look, yeah. these are his people. And yet they had to go out of his land. Yeah. So there's a clear sense coming into the New Testament that God has a PR problem. The people have not represented him well. And so his name has been... Uh, uh, the word I want to say is besmirched. I never hear that anywhere, but that's the word that comes to <laughs> mind. His name has been sullied or dirtied in yeah. some way. He's, he's, people are not seeing him for who he is. So when Jesus prays, hallowed be your name, he's praying for the restoration of God's right reputation among the nations. And I think Jesus well understands how this works in the Old Testament. So he is, in fact, committing himself to living faithfully to the covenant so that God's name would be honored again mm. and made holy again. Mm. Um, so, so Jesus never tells his disciples, maybe I shouldn't say it in those terms because I'd have to check and see. Jesus doesn't exalt his own name during his ministry. He's consistently pointing to the Father, pointing to the Father as the, um, the, the one we're supposed to worship, and, and I think it's because he comes as the ideal Israelite name bearer, and he wants to show us how this is supposed to be done. Not that he isn't God, but that he's, he's demonstrating for us what faithfulness would look like, what bearing God's name would, would look like. And then very quickly after Jesus' death and resurrection, the early church pivots again. And they, as they're thinking about Jesus and as they're putting all this together, they're somehow, um, in, in the words of Richard Bauckham, they are including Jesus within the divine identity. So you have mm. in Acts chapters 2 and 3, uh, the, the story of Pentecost and then Peter's, Peter's explanation of what's just happened with the giving of the Spirit. He quotes Joel chapter 2. In, so this is Acts 2. He says... No, this, this thing that just happened, the giving of the Spirit, was what Joel talked about. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. And he goes on to quote the last verse of that, verse 21, And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, he's speaking in Greek here, or, or, or it's recorded for us in Greek here in the New Testament, and that would be the name of the kurios, the name of the Lord, will be saved. Kurios means like master. It's generic. You know, it's mm. like you could use it of an earthly master or yeah. a heavenly master. He's using this generic kurios, um, but he's quoting Joel. And in Joel chapter 2, 
It's clearly Yahweh. Everyone who calls on the name of Yahweh will be saved. So Joel's quoting that, but then in the very next chapter, he, he clarifies that Jesus is the only name under heaven by which we can be saved. Yeah. And so somehow he's making this transition from Yahweh to Jesus via kurios, which is how the Greek translation of the Old Testament renders Yahweh. So Yahweh equals kurios in the Old Testament, so he can say kurios, and we've been calling Jesus kurios, so here he goes. Uh, yeah. there, there's Jesus, and he's not unseating Yahweh, he's not dissing the Father, but somehow he's, he's including Jesus within that divine identity. And so from that point on, the, the, the apostles are speaking of the name, when they speak of the name, they're speaking of the name of Jesus. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I like that. So, so I do pray in the name of Jesus. I don't, I don't pray, you know, in Yahweh's name. I pray in the name of Jesus, but recognizing that Jesus came to us to show us how to bear Yahweh's name. And there's a vision in Revelation. John sees Jesus, and he sees uh, he sees believers who have the name written on their forehead, mm-hmm. and it specifically says the name of Jesus and the name of his Father on their foreheads. Yeah. And the, one way of translating that would be as a hendiades, which is to say the name of Jesus, that is the name of the father. Like they're the same thing, two ways of saying the same thing. So yeah. it might not be that there's two names, but they've got the name Jesus, which is the equivalent of saying Yahweh. Yeah. I wish we had 40 more minutes because the chapter before that in Revelation, I think it says the number of his name is it talks about like a mark of a beast or whatever, but we I have to go get yes. my kids from school in a minute, so I, we can't do that. But, <laughs> okay. Uh, 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 maybe next time. Um, maybe next time. Um, so I've asked this question of everyone, and so I'm curious your answer, and you can answer however you like. So when you try to explain to people, you know, for me, Carmen, when I say mm-hmm. God, here's what I mean. Mm-hmm. What is that? I... When I explain God, it would be God is the the one who is the most powerful, the most benevolent being, the one who created the earth, the one who has a plan to redeem all things. So he created a good world. The plan is for him to redeem that good world. He made humans and he gave us a job to do, to, to participate in his creative work, bringing order to creation. And because we, because we fell off the rails, he's raised up the family of Abraham, and now um, the church has been included in that vision in order to restore the rest of humanity back to God, to, to participate in that work of restoration. Mm. Now we're going to go back to doctor. Dr. Imes, where do yes. you want people to go? Like, they hear this, they listen, they're like, I want to... I don't, because honestly, I, when I read your book, I was like, I've never, none of this has ever been in my churches that I've attended. Mm. And if it has been, it was mm. probably on a Sunday in a 15 minute homily that mm. I heard 13 minutes of, and it was the two minutes sure. I didn't hear. So where do you yeah. want people to go to do whatever it is that they should be doing? Sure. Well, you can find my book on Amazon or any, any bookseller. That's a great place to start. There's, um, it, in the back, there are discussion questions. If you want to read through it with a small group, there's, QR codes that link to Bible project videos that go with each chapter, if, so that can help with small groups. And there's also a video curriculum that goes with it on Seminary Now. Hmm. I have a YouTube channel. I release videos every Tuesday called Torah Tuesday. I'm working right now through a series on the image of God, so you can get a preview of what's going to be in my next book. Um, and tomorrow, I'm launching a new podcast with my 15-year-old daughter called the Take Two Podcast, where we're talking about deep questions that she has about Christianity and the Bible Fun. Um, in a way that works for teenagers. That's, that's a need. I like that. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Yeah. I like that. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. People can find me there. If you want to see what I'm reading, I'm on Goodreads and you can see, you can lurk. Those are some of my favorite posts. I lurk on your posts. You're like, what are you reading? And people are posting all these things. Yeah. I what wish, a lot of I have a lot of like crazy smart friends. Yeah, I wish I could post mine, but most of them are digital copies because I can hide my obsession from my wife that way. <laughs> so, <laughs> I see. <laughs> the truth comes out. Yeah, well, I mean, this is a public podcast, so she, I'm sure she knows. But yeah, the, the Kindle <laughs> library is large because I had to stop with the books. They, they're literally... Yeah, you don't have to dust books on Kindle. 
I don't remember the words exactly because it's been too many weeks since I edited the episode. However, I do remember Dr. Imes talking about if we could learn to recognize the image of God in each of us. And I know the episode was on bearing the name of God, but I can distinctly remember it. That we would just be better humans. Like if we could learn to recognize that. And so I'm leaning on that. That is my thing for this year. I'm trying so hard to be a bit better than I was last year. And most days I fell at it spectacularly. But that's okay. Because I'm still trying. I'm still trying. Anyhow. If you like what you hear, you need to rate and review the show. It, it really actually does help tremendously. And then go ahead and stop delaying yourself. Just click the button to become a patron supporter of the show. While the store is still up, you get a discount on that. I think it's like 20% off anything all the time with the proper discount code. You get different episodes, video versions of the episodes, I've begun writing, and when I feel a little more comfortable with putting those out, I'm going to put those there. Maybe that's the only place they will be for forever. Who, who knows? But consider both of those things. There's a free one, rate and review. And then if you're able, support the show. I would appreciate it tremendously. I pray that you are blessed, that you're well, and that you understand or begin to comprehend how amazingly loved you are. Starved you bow to the altars of mammon and the monuments of Mars. My eyes are filled with fire. In my hand I hold seven stars. You pledge allegiance to this land, but not my country from afar. You pound new nails into my hands. You rip and open up my scars. With my name plastered on your billboards and the bumpers of your cars. On your bio city halls and on your paper currency. But you really trust in bombs and barriers for your comfort and security. You are you. In my name. You're you. In my name, you're using my name in vain.